Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're nearing the end of our uh, Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. Um, this class is on uh, five common hindrances to developing the Dhamma. Um, one of the things that's most interesting about this is that this is the, the first time the Buddha taught this was obviously 2,600 years ago. Um, these hindrances are a, a generality of what can affect our Dhamma practice, um, but they also cover every aspect of um, aversion to Dhamma practice that might arise within Dhamma practice. The, the point I'm making is that these are the things that will take us away from the Dhamma. They're there to be uh, mindful of so that they don't do that. And when they do arise, we simply recognize them as hindrances, something that's a manifestation of a fabrication or a corruption of our own view of reality, to simply recognize them for what they are and abandon them. And the reason why I'm saying it and introducing it this way, um, I've had a, a talk with quite a few of you about just this, about, <coughs> excuse me, very specific occurrences that seem to be a, um, that seem to have a reality of their own, even though they're just a figment of our own imagination, they're a corruption of our view of ourself in relation to the world. Yet because we're thinking of them, or because we've had the thought, that alone gives the the idea the all the validity it needs for us to follow it. When put in the category of a hindrance rather than a specific detail, it becomes much easier to recognize it for simply what it is, a hindrance to practice, and not give it any more weight or uh, significance than it is. It's just a fabrication. It's just a corruption. Let it go. And so these five common hindrances... Uh, to practice as taught by the Buddha are the first one is sensory or sensual desire, meaning in this moment I need something to fulfill my need for for this moment, meaning I need something to describe this moment from an external point of view, meaning getting what I want or avoiding what I don't want in this moment. And that's the overriding concern that human beings spend their whole lives in, even though that concern takes their mind and either sticks it into the past or projects it into the future. So by in this moment insisting that I get what I want or don't get what I, what I don't want, what I have aversion to, I've taken my mind and saying, I don't want to be here right now right in this present moment. So the way to overcome that, and we talk about it all the time in Dhamma practice, is not to take what's occurring personally. And that way we diminish the the sensory aspect around what's occurring, and we depersonalize it. So the first, as the first hindrance to practice is the immediate need for sensory indulgence. Another way that this first um, hindrance can manifest is in our meditation practice. Excuse me for a moment. Every one of us as meditators has experienced boredom in our meditation practice. And boredom is simply the immediate need for in this moment to be thinking of something other than I am or having a different experience. It's the immediate need, let me go back just a moment, boredom is the immediate need for distraction. And so during jhana meditation, as we're, as these 
hindrances arise, they're going to manifest in that way. It's simply need for sensory indulgence. But because in this moment I need something to distract me, my breath isn't enough to keep my, my mind concentrated. I'll grasp after um, phenomenal but impermanent objects to attach myself to to get me out of my mind state. And I hope that's clear to everyone because that's, that's really the essence of distraction. It's the immediate need for, for to be distracted from this moment. And when we take that to its most subtle level, it does manifest as realizing that nothing is personal. The next aspect of, or the next hindrance to practice is ill will. Uh, harboring ill will towards ourselves or others. And of course, in meditation, that will manifest as judging ourselves harshly or we'll get caught up in a mental jag about thinking about how awful someone else is or a, some, or a situation is. That's all ill will. And in meditation, it's to be recognized as a fabrication. We don't analyze it. We don't try to justify ill will towards ourselves or others. We simply recognize it as a hindrance and let it go. The, the determination for Dhamma practice, meaning right intention and right effort as it manifests, carries us through those moments when, when hindrances are arising. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, laziness, um, uh, lethargy or disinterest or drowsiness is another hindrance. So that's all part of, of one emotion, isn't it? Any aversion that I have to, to changing my mind, no matter what, whether it's Dhamma practice or just accepting a new idea about life, will often be met by... Laziness, I don't want to put the effort into understanding this. Simple, simply manifesting indifference, which is another mask of indifference. I, I just, I simply don't care about this. Um, or drowsiness. And that can manifest in many different ways. On our cushion, it can manifest as falling asleep during meditation. And so drowsiness during meditation can be simply resistance to meditation itself. Or it can be a physical tiredness. And so we need to look at that. If, if drowsiness is an aspect of meditation practice and it's, it's distracting us from our meditation practice, look at, the, at are you getting enough sleep because it may be a physical component. And if you feel like you're getting enough sleep, then look at that, that simple aversion to Dhamma practice as the cause for, that, for drowsiness during meditation. Uh, restlessness and worry, uh, that's certainly true on our cushions. And off our cushions. If in our man, in our cushions, we're getting caught up in that restlessness or worry, that can be an aspect of boredom, or it can be an aspect of projecting my thoughts into the future. And again, it's simply to be recognized that that's what's occurring. Abandon that 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 train of thought and come back to the sensation of breathing. Off our cushion, that's probably the biggest distraction to being in the moment is restlessness or worry. We're concerned about the future, usually driven by something in the past, or we're just restless about this moment. We want to, we want to be in a more meaningful moment of our life. This one doesn't hold enough meaning for it. That's an aspect of a lack of mindfulness, isn't it? Um, and the last is doubt or uncertainty or skepticism. Uh, this last is very interesting to me as one of the major schools of Buddhism, meaning Zen Buddhism, uh, and a, a large part of Zen Buddhism actually teaches to to uh, cultivate doubt as part of a practice. They, when doubt arises, to get, to get down and dirty with it and figure out where it comes from and why it's happening and explore all the manifestations of doubt. The Buddha realized that when, that when doubt arises, he said, do one thing, recognize it as a hindrance to practice and simply abandon it. When we start massaging our doubt, 
engaging with our doubt. All we're doing is increasing our doubt. And, and other aspects of doubt would be uncertainty or skepticism. When that arises within Dhamma practice, simply recognize it and abandon it. Because analyzing the Dhamma to too further an extent, and that's usually just more than a couple of thoughts about it, analyzing as, opposed, as meaning as trying to find out where it doesn't work, it's simply a hindrance to practice. We, we recognize that the, the efficacy of Dhamma practice only through experience. And so what I'm saying about that is as you're evaluating your Dhamma practice, avoid evaluating it from an intellectual standpoint and only evaluate it from an experiential standpoint. Is it working for me? Period. And if it's not, you abandon the Dhamma practice. But if it is, and you're, you're recognizing that you're not allowing any hindrance to affect your Dhamma practice, then you know you're, you're engaging in right view in this moment, and you can trust your own experience with the Dhamma to continue. Two other aspects of, and you read this, uh, of, uh, of, of recognizing and abandoning hindrances are maintaining right intention and right, right effort. So right intention is in this moment as a Dhamma practitioner, it is my intention to recognize and abandoning craving for and clinging to ignorant views. And in general, right effort is the effort to continue with authentic Dhamma practice and abandon anything that isn't. So that's my somewhat brief talk for today. Uh, and I'd like to hear what, what you all have to say about it. Um, I'll start with Alex. Alex, what do you think about today's class and uh, how's your practice going? Hi, John. Hi, guys. Um, and, and I'm sorry, Alex. And, and do you see how how significant this lesson is in in continuing with your Dhamma practice? How it fits in with everything else? Thanks, Alex. Yeah, um, completely. I'm feeling more engaged than ever today. In that things are just clearer, a lot clearer to me now, um, which is a sign that this course has been beneficial. Yeah. Even in my even in my life day to day life and my meditations it's just something uh, it feels like a light bulb's gone off recently this, something's come clearer um, it's just clarity yeah I've just got some clarity on um, what I'm doing and where my hindrances are um, and to try not to get carried away I, I, I think my my tendency is to analyse and try to fix things. Yep, but we all, everybody. What I'm now is that these are just stories that I don't need to attach myself to. Um, and when I meditate now, I'm quite enjoying that challenge to uh, keep bringing myself back. Um, and I'm not great at it. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. But I, I, I feel like I'm on a training course now. It's just if I keep doing it every day, subtly... Uh, there'll be there'll be improvements and yes. maybe there'll be times when I fall back but already I'm, I'm noticing it I'm just noticing a shift in, in my awareness so it's great for me at the moment I'm, I'm maybe it's some decisions I've made recently I just feel like I've got a lot more clarity and this this chapter was good for me at the moment because it when I read it I just whizzed through it and I thought yeah I've, I've got all that um, <laughs> I haven't absolutely nailed it but I've got got most of it um, my only main question was about um, what you what you would recommend for how we manage in such a sensory loaded world, you know the world we're in, especially in London. 
it's sensory stuff hitting us all the time. Like for me, any social occasion or anything we do now in, in the modern world, social media, everything, it's all hitting us all the time. Yeah. Um, I've really missed retreats actually this this year. I've really I was looking forward to doing more in person retreats and, and getting more silence um, with others. So um, yeah, what, what would what would your advice be to that? Uh, well, you know, as far as the retreat, it's certainly not the same thing as being on a physical retreat. Um, and you might want to plan on coming to our you know our spring retreat is just a couple of weeks. Uh, but maybe in the fall, you can join us out here. I know that's a bit of a stretch. Um, there's a few things. Um, first, I'd like to comment on, on your description of developing the Dhamma. Really, in a few short weeks, maybe a few short months, I should say, you're, you've developed enough of the Dhamma to know that it works for you. And that is such a significant development. That's kind of what you know I talk about often. The Dhamma is to be experienced. And once you experience it, then you know for yourself. And you encourage yourself to continue. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the, I, I hope this answers your question. The, the, um, and you kind of just touched on it. The answer, Alex, is simply to continue w- with the Dhamma, um, no matter what's occurring. And, and again, that, that is how we... That is how we express our right intention to continue. Maybe I'm not answering your question. Um, no, you, you just made me realize that I, I pretty much know the answer to the question, which is just to keep practicing. Yeah. Um, it, I, it, guess, I guess my only slight feeling is when things just get too much, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds a little snarky almost for me to say, just keep practicing. And it, but that, that really is the answer. The um, yeah. When we're caught up, it seems as if the world is. It seems like we're constantly bombarded by by sensory stimulation, aren't we? And in a sense, we are, but we're still responsible for that. In other words, we can we can stop looking at our cell phones every five minutes. We can, we can. You know, I, I deleted my Facebook and Twitter accounts. I never really used them. I just posted stuff to them. Um, or we can limit that. There's a lot of things we can do. But the as far as Dhamma practice. We learn, and you'll, you'll develop this further, Alex, we learn to practice wise restraint. And the Dhamma is practiced in this moment. So it means in this moment, I've developed concentration to the extent, jhana, that I can control what is impacting my mind. I have enough control over my, my own thinking process to, to skillfully filter what's coming in contact with the sixth sense base. Remember, dependent origination. And in so doing... I allow myself to remain at calm and, and at peace no matter what's occurring in the world. That's what Dhamma practice is all about, isn't it? To be able to do that in the midst of all this sensory bombardment. And that, that's exactly what we're doing. So you ask how to do it. My snarky answer, my snide answer was keep, keep going. But, uh, but I explained it there that it really is just a matter. The solution to that problem is is really what everybody's looking for. They just don't know how to ask the right question. You ask the question in the appropriate way, so you receive the answer. Keep practicing. <laughs> no, I've got you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thank you for the question. Julian, how are you? Hi, John. Hello, everyone. Um, I was secretly hoping you didn't ask me next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, you, you, I can call you at the end later if you would like to. Right. 
Um, I'm good, good, thanks. I had a really busy last two weeks. Didn't manage to come last week because um, I'm having some issue with one knee, so I had to go to the physiotherapist and they somehow just managed to get me Thursday evenings. Um, and I had, I'm a bit like Alex, I guess. I really can, I did realize for the last couple of days because they were, um, I have some, um, how do you say that, some medical research work to do for, for my studies and I was like really stressed out but managed until Tuesday, I had this paper to give back yesterday and um, I managed to keep practicing twice a day until Tuesday, right. no until Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday somehow didn't work out um, but I realized that the that of felt like all these twice two little sessions a day were like um, filling up some battery mm, and yeah it kept me to go through these two past days which were which were really intense and um, I was struggling a little bit with the practice tonight but it feels good to 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 have experienced it before and now I mean knowing that I can grab it back kind of yeah. and according to, to the lesson for today and i'm a bit further back in the book because i'm on week five now i guess so i'm like always experiencing something else here that i'm reading but i think it's all right that it's as experience and sharing anyway oh yeah um and you know that all the talks are on the website too so you can catch up that way yeah, and uh, again, Julian, it's just you're saying kind of the same thing that Alex said. You're experiencing the Dhamma through your continued practice, and you recognize, um, maybe I, I'll put it this way, diminishing in your calm and peaceful mind by missing a couple of meditation sessions, etc. So again, that's just a reminder that you know the, the benefits of your Dhamma practice depend entirely on you as, an, as the individual practitioner and you get all the benefits that you've uh, that you put into it you know you're and getting back to today's talk through your right intention and your right effort so yeah I'm glad you joined us today Julian thank you Jordan how are you hey uh, unmute myself yeah I'm doing well thank you um, I struggled a bit in, in today's meditation just very very distracted for, for some reason um, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but when you so when you found that you were distracted, you came back to the sensation of breathing. Yeah, but very soon after that, I got distracted again. <laughs> yeah, that all of that, getting distracted, recognize it, coming back to your breath, and getting distracted again, and coming back to your breath. Those four things are jhana practice. Jhana is not just being mindful of your breath. Because if we think it's that, then we're always going to be frustrated. Geez, I'm caught up in my thoughts again. What's the matter with me? It doesn't matter. And if you have to do it a million times in 20 minutes, it doesn't matter. Because every time you, you realize that you're caught up in your thoughts, or a feeling, or both, an emotion, and come back to the sensation of breathing, you're increasing your concentration. So that's, that's jhana meditation, both components. So Sorry to interrupt you, Jordan. Yeah, no, it's, it's good, to, good to be reminded of that. And I don't, I don't really judge myself I, I do notice it um notice it's happening and in, in terms of the five hindrances i'd say that sensory desire is probably the biggest definitely the biggest one for me is being comfortable being well fed being warm enough being 
being stimulated enough like I think in the modern world and in London like Alex was saying it's it's constant and coming out of well coming back from Greece and coming out of lockdown soon I think I'm gonna uh, struggle with the transition and kind of want to see as many friends as possible see see as much of London as possible I'm starting a new job so I know I have to be very uh, disciplined to, to do two sets of meditations per day um, so that's something I need to, need to definitely keep in mind to, to make time for just getting up early enough in the morning before I need to, to start work I mean I don't know how all you guys have done it in the last six months uh, keeping jobs and, uh, and the meditation practice at the same time I've been lucky in, in Greece I've had nothing to do and that's been it's been a perfect time to start this meditation course actually because at the start I was in come out of a relationship and I'd lost my job in September so it was perfect time yeah Alex got me on board and Tom got me on board with this um so I think I would have been a lot more worried about life if I hadn't started this course so that's mm. been perfect um and the other part was a bit of, bit of laziness and, and drowsiness I guess um leads into um the hindrance uh, is one of my hindrances uh, especially if I if I meditate too late in the day or something like that yeah um but yeah it was good it's always good to have them bullet pointed out this is these are five key areas that are nicely encapsulated of, of what to look out for so thanks yeah thank you jordan and, and so again it's kind of an interesting theme developing you get you get out of the dom of what you put into it um and again just just keep keep up with your practice uh This this whole thing of aversion to practice, as related in this uh, this chapter, has always been interesting to me, and it, because of my own personal experience, uh, I think you all know I I I was a, a so-called Buddhist practitioner for many 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 years before I got any benefit at all out of the Dhamma, and it was only when I started practicing the Buddha's Dhamma um, that it had any effect. But even in the beginning practice of of the authentic Dhamma. I still had some aversion to it, and I guess that's why uh, I can address it in this way. <coughs> and that aversion always manifested with a desire to become entangled in the world again. They used the world and, and whatever my situation is as constant distraction. What helped me understand the, what that really means, to not be entangled in the world, to, the, to always be seeking sensory stimulation, is simply the Buddha's own example. Even during his lifetime, uh, and you know, I think about it, it was a much quieter time, but there was a lot of strife during the Buddha's lifetime. In, in, in northern India and southern Nepal, there was always constant battles and little wars and skirmishes going on. So it wasn't, it wasn't a utopic uh, uh, society by any means. But yet the Buddha, in order to establish his Sangha and to make it easier for those who, are really, who sincerely desired to develop the Dhamma, he did disentangle himself from society. He did move the Sangha away from the cities, away from London and Brighton and Frenchtown, out into the forest so that they could just focus on Dhamma practice. That is, in some ways, the easiest way to develop the Dhamma. And we've all talked about it just now, George, how much easier it is when you're in lockdown to practice the Dhamma. Yet, many, many people who were not part of the 
Sangha, who didn't leave the world behind, also developed the Dhamma during the Buddhist time, and we're doing the same. And it just has to do with right intention and right effort. It means that even during a busy day, as Jordan was describing, we find the time to put 40 or forty minutes or an hour into our meditation practice, and a little bit more, which isn't a lot, is it? An hour a day or 40 minutes a day to literally save our minds. And then to put a little bit more time in over the course of the week to come to a class and maybe spend another little bit of time reading about it. It is to our benefit. And, and you know, you've heard me say this often. The most loving thing I can do for myself and for all other human beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. It's the most important thing in my life. And the more that you can prioritize the Dhamma within your very busy framework of your life, the, the, the better your life will be. It's just that way. So thank you, Jordan, for pointing that out. Thank you. Henrietta, good to see you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Yourself? I'm good. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. Um, so I've, I've actually come to um, accept that when I'm practicing um, that my mind will be distracted. So um, I'm able to like catch myself in those moments. So for me, that's something that I, I feel quite content with myself for accomplishing that. Um, the only thing is from, um, and this is less of a question, it's more of a comment. It was around um, the, the fifth hindrance doubt, um, which for me, I always kind of feel that to have doubt is actually an opportunity to clarify things for yourself. Mm. So it's just interesting to see that it's um, it's more a hindrance than actually a positive. Again, great question. And um, it, it doesn't imply that we shouldn't uh, inquire about the Dhamma, but that's what study is for. It means that within the Dhamma, we shouldn't question our own practice in a harsh way. We shouldn't get caught up in the doubt of it, the doubt of something or the uncertainty of the next moment in Dhamma practice to the point that it, it, it knocks us off our cushion. And so you, you can say that there's some value in doubt, but that's an intellectual game. Within the framework of the Dhamma, we don't have to worry about doubt or uncertainty or skepticism at all because all that we have to do is practice what's in front of us, to develop what's in front of us. It doesn't require additional doubt for further inquiry. Everything we need is right here in front of us. So doubt in that case is not going to lead us to further even intellectual knowledge. This is what we practice. You could also say that it's, it is... Uh, I'm getting a little bit into some subtle aspects. You can also say that it's doubt about ourselves that can that can knock us out of Dhamma practice, that I just don't think I can do it. That's an aspect of doubt as well. But to get back to your initial comment, uh, intellectual doubt is not a good thing to have as far as Dhamma practice because there's nothing to be doubted. It's all clear. It's all plain. It's all presented. It's just a matter of continuing with right intention and right effort and developing it. Does that help, Henrietta? Yeah, it kind of helps. Yeah, the, the, other, the other aspect of doubt, and I, I would point you out to the website and read the articles on taking refuge, because doubt, doubt and uncertainty are, uh, are an aspect of, of, as far as the Dhamma is concerned, of not taking refuge. Taking true refuge in the Dhamma means that we 
Um, we take safety, surety, and comfort in the understanding that a human being did what we're doing. The, the three refuges or the triple jewel are the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. So we take refuge in the fact or surety and comfort in the fact that a human being is, did just this. And we're human beings. So if a human being did it, we can do it. The important aspect of that is to not elevate the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, to something other than a human being because he wasn't. And that's important because if he's a human being, we can do it. That human being left his Dhamma. We take surety and comfort in the fact that he taught us how to do this. So there's no doubt about that. And we take comfort that we have found a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. So having, um, having taken refuge in these three jewels, there, there should be no doubt. And so when the doubt arises, it's simply to be recognized as doubt and to be abandoned within the framework of Dhamma practice. Remember <clears throat> that this relates, I mean, you, you can say in general, it relates to life in general, but what we're talking about is specifically, it's specific to Dhamma practice. So when doubt arises within Dhamma practice and you've, you've developed the authentic Dhamma to the, Dhamma to the point that you can make that decision, know that you're good to go. There's no doubt in this case is just going to be a hindrance. So I hope I explained that well enough, Henrietta. Yes, you did. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Matteo, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, Joe. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I'm glad I joined tonight because exactly yesterday I have a chat with uh, my friend is a Tibetan monk. We talk about the five hindrances. Uh, was more like a fight than a chat because it's oh. like, <laughs> that's too I, bad. That they say like, well, you should read John Haskell book. I say to the, the monk, he was like, who is this guy? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny coincidence. I, I enjoyed it, but anyway, um, uh, about hindrances, I think uh, I have a practical example. Uh, it happens Monday to me. I was meditating, and for some reason. Uh, I was I got worried that I need to do a blood test, and so I got worried that in result I waste my meditation time. I stay twenty minutes just to think about that, <laughs> and I was very disappointed. The day after happened again, but then I like I say, okay, wait, wait a moment. Like I'm Buddhist, let's investigate this stuff. I stop at that five minutes, and I realized it was exactly interesting. It was like probably sensory experience hidden by indecision. Kind yeah. of like two indices in one. And when I stop, I like, what I do is just like call the doctor, book the appointment, come back to the meditation and disappear. I didn't think anymore about that. And I was really, really satisfied with, with this. You know, it's a, it's a silly example, but that's exactly what I understood what indices was in that Yeah. Yeah, and that's a great example too, because you, you, you resolve the distraction in your mind in a very practical way. You, <laughs> you, you, and, and then, then you were able to meditate. So that's another good uh, lesson. You know, the, the preparing ourselves for our, our sit, for our jhana practice is important too. And so if you have some things that are on your mind that you might be distracting, you take care of them. Get them off your mind. You know, again, it's just, it's just practical Dhamma practice. So. Thank you, Mateo. Mateo, if you want to hang on for a few minutes, if you have time, we can talk about teacher training. Oh yeah, yeah, thank you. Yes. And and I would say, Tom, if you want to hang on a little bit, if you have time, we'll we'll discuss that for a few minutes after class. If you don't, we we can talk about that later too. Thank you, Matteo. Vicky, good to see you. As much as I can see, I should qualify that. <laughs> Hi everyone. 
Yeah, this is a very helpful subject because I feel like I've definitely experienced all of these things and been we all do. challenged with all of these hindrances. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's helpful because I also have the tendency, like everyone, to analyze. Um, and, you know, that's sort of my habit. So I think, you know, it's, it's a sh you know, um, I think practicing and shifting over to more observing and recognizing and letting go. I think I'm still working on because yep. it's just new for me. Um, <laughs> um, so that was, that was, you know, the tips you gave were very helpful. Um, and it was also very helpful to, for you to clarify ill will, not just being about ill will towards others, but ill will towards yourself. Yep. So important. I've recognized in myself, and it relates to our conversation about right speech, sort of, um, you know, I, I feel like I've been able to recognize, like, those subtle forms of self-loathing that I wasn't initially aware of. Okay, um, great. Now I'm aware of, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's helpful, a helpful clarification. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just, for me, a matter of, yeah, making that shift yeah. and practicing a new way of sort of dealing with these hindrances because I do... I still find myself struggling sometimes to immediately analyze or immediately evaluate and judge it harsh, harshly that it's even happening, to get caught up in it, to identify with it. Um, so I feel like I still struggle with that a bit. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, just practicing not doing that anymore. Yes, Vicky, thank you so much. You will get to that point. And it is just that. When, when you find that you're caught up in your thinking, however it's manifesting, whatever the... This, the, the, the label you might put on it, you take a breath, come back into your body. And in doing that, we're interrupting the conditioned response to always analyze what's occurring. You know, and if you think that about that, why do I do that? Why do I, why do I feel that I have to analyze everything? And what am I analyzing it? What am I judging it against? Mm -hmm. If my mind is rooted in a fabrication, I'm judging what's occurring against the fabrication, something I already corrupted. Where can that take me? It, it certainly can't take me to reality or any any uh, stress-free understanding of what's occurring. And so, again, every time I do that, I do just what you described, I'm interrupting that process and it will lessen. And at, at some point, it will it simply won't manifest anymore. It's an aspect of conditioned thinking. So, thank you, Vicki. Thank you. Hello, Tom. Hi, John. Um, yeah, thanks for the class. Um Maybe just to start with a quick question. Do you do you think that um, are we typically more prone to, as individuals, do you think to suffer from or to, to 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 deal with one aspect of one hindrance more than others? Like, is it mm. quite normal that one one of us may really struggle with self-loathing, someone else with sensual desire more, someone else with uh, doubts? Is that kind of how it works, or do we all kind of just have these in equal measures, but they just come up in our lives at different times? Yes. <laughs> it's, both, it's both of those things. <laughs> um, it, it's best to look at these. These are common human occurrences. So to answer your first question, uh, yes, there, I'm sure. I'm not sure. There are different times that different individuals will will. Uh, be more affected by individual aspects of this, but every human being has all five of these manifests. It's simply a, a, a human condition, isn't it? Rooted in ignorance. 
Um, and so, but the, the first one you could say is the universal hindrance because it precedes the other four when you look at it closely. There first has to be that, that sensory distraction for me to fall into either, you know, ill will or, or doubt or skeptic, whatever it might be. Um, and the important thing, again, is just to recognize these are, these are, are generalities that are specifically applied to what's occurring in this present moment. Um, and again, whatever it is, whatever aspect of, of a fabricated conditioned mind is manifesting in this moment, refined mindfulness tells me and, and jhana tells me to recognize it as such and simply abandon it. And in doing that, that simple process of recognition and abandonment, that is being gentle with ourselves. Going the next step, even though it's very subtle, and analyzing it or getting into the why of it or am I doing it right or how did somebody talk to me this way or why is the world like this or why is the new prime minister or president? All of that is nonsense as far as Adama is concerned. Recognize it. In this moment, I've lost my mind and now I have it back. And it's just that easy. And in the next breath, you might find that you've lost your mind. I'm using extreme verbiage just to make the point. In the next moment, I might find that I've lost my mind again. What do I do? And I'm back. And it's just that way. The, the response that I just um, exampled for you might seem overly simplistic and even Pollyannish at times. But it is the most courageous thing I can do in this moment. It's a, it's a sign of, um, just to use the phrase I don't think I've ever used it before, Dhammic weakness. To think that I have to continue with analyze something and not listen to what an awakened human being taught me to simply abandon it and come back to my my breath and my body. Simply makes sense, doesn't it? For clarity, just to, just to get some clarity on it, um, just listen to what you were saying, John. I think where I was getting lost before is that I kept thinking that we have to aim to... Uh, so, so when you say you get lost in distractions about like the president and politics and things like that, and the Dharma says don't get... I think for me what's helped me is to realise that that stuff is still going to happen. Just don't get caught up in it. Yep. That's, that's the point, right? Yep. It's, it's okay to have all these thoughts, but don't get lost in it as if it's something that really matters because it, it, it doesn't. Well, I would say, I would, I, excuse me for, in, for editing your, your words. I don't mean to step on your words. I would say, yeah, I would say um, to, just to take what's occurring with, without any need to approve it in any way, because that's taking it personal. And in other words, to, to even to look out on the world and say, well, that person is really screwed up. When you say that, obviously you're saying it, you're weighing it against your own views, aren't you? That person is really screwed up, even though millions of people have expressed dislike for this person, it doesn't help me to think that way. That person who, I, who, who is less than ideal is simply a human being. When I take that part is less than ideal, that's the personal part that I'm attaching to it. Again, no matter, people would say, again, just as an example, well, shouldn't we hate someone like Adolf Hitler? Well, maybe we should learn to hate the actions of a human being, but understand how deluded that human being must have been to do the, the, to do the incredible hurt that he did. That's the right way to look at it, and that depersonalizes the situation. And in every situation, we should strive to not take it personal. This is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Because every time I attach myself to something, 
I'm, I'm diminishing my own experience of my life. That's a, that's a very subtle aspect of self-loathing that we're getting to. I mean, it, it, excuse me. And sometimes I get so excited about all you getting the Dhamma this way. Uh, I can't even take a breath and take a drink. You're getting it, and it shows by our conversation. One of the reasons why I, I have classes this way, having this discussion afterwards, is for just this reason. You all are a better teacher of the Dhamma than I am through your own experience. And we have a venue here to share that incredible knowledge. There's nothing more effective in learning the Dhamma than hearing about a direct experience of it. Why? Because the Dhamma is to be directly experienced. That's why we do this. That's why we have classes this way. That's why I only talk about the Dhamma within that class so that we can all develop it in this way. So thank you all for for your commitment to the Dhamma and for your commitment to our well-informed and well-focused Sangha. It really is remarkable. Um, Does anybody else have any questions or comments? We'll finish with Meta as we always do. I was just wondering where your your guys were. Where's Josh and... I was wondering the same thing. I don't know. Change their clocks. I, I hope so. I, I really don't know. You know, I, maybe uh, uh, if the weather's nice in Colorado, Josh might be playing golf. <laughs> that, that's all. I don't know about Michael or Meg or the other ones. I really don't. So, but that, that's you know, things happen in life. Um, if everyone showed up at every class, we'd have to. I'd have to have a very large screen. So, <laughs> it, it was a wonderful class today. I'm glad you all joined me. Um. Yeah, so uh, Tom's going to get in touch with all of you. Next week is our last class on the Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. Um, but I'm more than happy to continue with our Thursday classes. Uh, or And Tom's going to send you an email to gauge your interest or if you'd rather wait for a, another event that's going to occur uh, later on in the year. So again, I'm happy to just keep keep these Thursday classes going. Uh, but you tell me what you'd like to do. Uh, just ask what, what um, kind of focus we would do after after the 12th week well my classes um you you joined uh specifically for to do the truth of happiness and i call all of these things a structured study they're they're structured around a a particular topic um typically my classes are i teach a sutta we we meditate i teach a specific sutta uh that i've restored and then we have a discussion uh and then i also teach structured studies so one of the thoughts that i had uh, on a Tuesday and Thursday, a Tuesday and Saturday classes, uh, I'm going through a Vipassana structured study on true insight, insight into the three marks of existence. And that's a 32 class structured study. Um, there's others like a, a 26 class study on the Dhammapada. Uh, there's also another study on uh, the foundations of the Buddhist Dhamma that I thought we'd go through if you want to continue. And that's linked on the home page of the, that's a, I think that's 12 classes. On, and some of it is similar material that we just went through, uh, but some of it is, is uh, uh, different, like the, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta uh, and some other suttas. So uh, discuss what you'd like to do. I'd be more than happy, again, to keep these Thursday classes going in that way. Uh, so just, uh, And, and uh, Tom will let me know. So. All right, we'll finish with Metta. So these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. Uh, So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. 
This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming buddha Dot com. Thank you. Peace.